The Nobel Peace Prize for 1993 is awarded to Nelson Mandela and Frederick Willem de Klerk for their work for the peaceful termination of the apartheid regime and for laying the foundations for a new democratic South Africa. By looking ahead to South African reconciliation instead of back at the deep wounds of the past, they have shown personal integrity and great political courage. The Nobel Peace Prize for 1993 is awarded in recognition of their efforts and as a pledge of support for the forces of good in the hope that the advance towards equality and democracy will reach its goal in the very near future. The Nobel Peace Prize Committee may have seen F.W. de Klerk and Nelson Mandela as co-creators of the South African miracle, as did many people the world over. But on the streets of South Africa, the two men were increasingly shaping up as electoral rivals. The campaign for the hearts and minds of the country's electorate grew increasingly intense as the election date in late April 1994 drew closer and closer. And ten days before voters went to the polls, South Africans, who had already seen some extraordinary things, were presented with a remarkable sight and sound of its two Nobel Prize winners locked in debate. As the world focuses on South Africa, we bring you the debate, Mandela and Declare face to face, a crucial event in the run-up to South Africa's first all-race elections, live from Johannesburg at the Civic Theatre. Your moderator is Rick Robinson. Well, good evening and welcome to the Civic Theatre in Johannesburg for this historic debate between two South African leaders of international stature. At the start of the debate, both men concentrated on spelling out to the voters what they and their parties had to offer. The years of apartheid are over. A new beginning awaits a new South Africa. Your vote will decide whether that new beginning is a good one or a bad one. It will be a good new beginning if the result of the election achieves a balance of power between the two main contenders, the National Party and the ANC. If any one party gets too much power, it will be a bad beginning. Bad also for all South Africans. But it wasn't long before they were scrapping away, looking to expose what they thought were weaknesses in the other man's position and experience. We have a good housing plan on the table, which will achieve all those results I care for all South Africans, irrespective of their race or colour. But let me say, Mr. Mandela, my comments were not the comments of a man who is less than candid. They were the comments of somebody with experience, of somebody who sat in the cabinet and worked through budget since 1978 and who knows how the economy of the state works. And there is, no, it wasn't apartheid. We abolished apartheid. We made the country free. We made all the people in this country. Ladies and gentlemen, please. Nobody could say for sure how much influence the broadcast debate between Mandela and de Klerk had on the election outcome. Most voters probably made their choices based on much deeper historical and personal experience. But the National Party did finish second in the poll, and de Klerk took up his place in the Government of National Unity as a deputy president. National Unity was the goal, but some fractious times followed. On one occasion, Mandela accused de Klerk of knowing about a secret attempt to get indemnity from prosecution for a large number of security personnel and of speaking in a manner in which, to quote, white men used to speak to blacks, unquote. 
The row was eventually settled, but when the National Party was called before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, de Klerk found himself under pressure again. Ons afvaar dat die strengveiligheidswetgeving wat daar was, een klimaat geskep het, we accept that the strict security legislation that was in place created a climate that made misdeeds and deviation from the rules possible, that the state of emergency created space for unacceptable actions because there were far fewer rules and controls. I have said that the clandestine actions and the special unconventional methods that we were compelled to use also created that space. I have therefore acknowledged what everyone says I must acknowledge, but it is as if they don't hear that I have said this. As the questions and criticisms kept coming, de Klerk began to argue that nothing would satisfy his critics. One gets the impression that they want me to say that we sat and planned and said, we give you authorization, we give you a license to murder, we give license for torture. That is not true. You see, the ANC must apply for amnesty because they admit that they did make plans in that way. In our case, there were always rules that were supposed to apply, even during unconventional operations. And as his frustrations mounted, de Klerk became highly critical of the Truth Commission itself. When you create an institution, and that institution doesn't do what the law says it must, when the law says that mechanism must act at all times with absolute impartiality, and then it begins to do the exact opposite, then the fault doesn't lie with the original good intentions. The fault lies with the people who now no longer act according to the provisions of that law. You know, it's not just the statements made by Archbishop Tutu and Dr. Bahrain. There's also a problem with the methods being applied. The Truth Commission hearings and the questions they raised were a bruising time for F.W. de Klerk. But it was also becoming increasingly clear that the damage being done was not just personal. In 1997, the National Party saw the departure of negotiations leader Rolf Mayer, who left to join Bantu Holomisa in forming the United Democratic Movement. And it wasn't long before de Klerk himself decided to make way for a new leader, Martinus van Skalkveik. He made it clear that this was for the party's good. A significant obstacle for the National Party is the perception that, despite the far-reaching internal and external changes that we have brought about, that it is still linked, especially by our opponents, but in the eyes and minds of many, to a guilt-laden past. Regardless of how unjustified this perception might be, and it is unjustified, because we have done something about that. We have abolished apartheid. We have taken the initiative to bring about the new South Africa. Regardless of how unjustified it is, it nonetheless remains a problem for our party. And with my retirement, I wish to open a door for the National Party to provide further proof of dynamic break with the past with a view to best enabling it to play its full role in the realignment process. F.W. de Klerk's withdrawal from party politics was decisive. Although he continued to advise members of the new National Party and his opinion was regularly invited on national questions. But when he found himself in the full glare of the media spotlight once again, it was for a most painful reason. The murder in Cape Town of his former wife, Marika. 
It is my sincere hope that this dastardly deed will once again act as a wake-up call to all of us in South Africa that we must bring crime. We must get a grip on the crime situation. We are being, as a country, damaged by every murder. No one murder is more serious than the other. The one on my former wife Marika, however, has made headlines across the world because of the political profile, the role that I and she as First Lady at that stage played in the tremendous changes which came about in South Africa. And the message from that, that in an own home, a woman like her would be murdered, I think sends out such a negative, damaging message. A negative, damaging message, perhaps. But F.W. de Klerk remained positive and optimistic about the brand new South Africa he'd played such a profound part in creating.